You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I hate bachelor and bachelorette parties. That's not new. That's not news. Anytime bachelor and bachelorette parties come up in the context of a question here on the Savage Lovecast, I go off on how much I hate them because of what they symbolize. What they symbolize is marriage is the end of fun. You're about to get married, so this is your last chance to get a lap dance, to go out and get drunk with your friends, and you gotta really go for it. This is the last night of your life, the last night of freedom. And I hate that. I hate the message that sends because marriage should be an adventure. Marriage should be the fun that you're having now with this person. You should still be able to, I don't know, both of you go out and get a lap dance together every once in a while. If you convince people that marriage is the end of fun and adventure, then people who long for fun and adventure, and people do, people want variety, people want new experiences, people want lap dances. If you convince them that the only way they can have that is to get not married anymore, they will engineer the ends of their marriages. This is all just my way of letting you know that there's no intro, really, for the top of this week's show. No commentary on current political events because I am off having an adventure with my husband. It is possible for you to do that thing, to be married, to be married almost a quarter of a century. Terry and I have been together almost 25 years and still go out in the world as a couple and have an adventure together. Terry and I right now are in a major European capital wearing shockingly inappropriate outfits for men of our age and social stature uh, and having fun, having an adventure as a married couple. It is a thing that we do and we do semi-regularly. It's one of the reasons I think that we are still together and still in love because when I look at him, I don't see the death and the end of possibility and adventures and lap dances. I see the person that I have adventures with and sometimes get lap dances beside. So if you are married, if you are coupled, if you are partnered, go have an adventure. That's what Terry and I are doing this week. It's why I'm not doing an intro at the top of this week's show about the latest outrages inflicted upon our democracy by the cacistocracy that's currently in control. So in preparation for you having an adventure with your partner, maybe listen to this week's show. Get some ideas about the possible kinds of adventures that you two could have together and on this week's show tons of your cue lots of my a and in the magnum subscription savage lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com comedian amy miller is here to tackle a few questions all that coming up on today's show hi dan i'm a 37 year old cisgendered bisexual female partnered with a man in marriage and i teach writing on the west coast i'm calling because i had a student in my writing class last year who sexually harassed me. What happened is he began making objectifying comments about my appearance, starting with hair, oh, your hair's up, oh, your hair's down, and then the way my clothes fit. And it escalated over a period of two or three weeks into an incident that happened as we were both getting ready to go into the restroom, a single restroom. And this gentleman who is my father's age, he's 65. He is actually a gay man. As I was getting ready to go into the bathroom, I said, oh, please go in front of me. And he said, no, no, you go first and I'll lick the toilet seat after you use it. 
As in every time this happens to me, including once in a TSA checkpoint, I didn't believe my ears at first. And I even came home that evening and asked my husband if maybe this was a Southernism. And my husband assured me it's not. Of course, I knew exactly what he had said. And his graphic description of oral contact with my genitals, I thought, rose to the level of harassment. What I'm calling about is I wanted to check my analysis of this situation with you. And I was curious if there are any other uh, dialogues going on um, in the culture about this, which is that sexual harassment isn't about sexual harassment, but really about power. And I'm just in a situation where I was actually sexually harassed by a much older gay gentleman. And I do think it was about power. I think it was about this student of mine feeling comfortable with my intellectual authority and making objectifying comments about my body that then escalated into graphic uh, descriptions as a way of undermining my power, my intellectual power, by bringing attention to to making me his sexual subordinate. So I'm just curious if you agree with that analysis and if there are any other dialogues about this going on in the culture. Thank you so much, Dan. Yes, sexual harassment is or can be or most often is about power, what people think they can get away with. But the charitable read here with this quote-unquote gay gentleman, not something I would have called him after an experience like this, but you so labeled him. Maybe you're being sarcastic. The charitable read here is senility. 65 years old. Some people at 65 are kind of losing touch and getting a little senile. And that can often include, with senility, disinhibiting. People making comments that they would not have made if they were fully People making sexual comments that they wouldn't have made if they were in full control of their faculties. Perhaps he's not in full control of his faculties anymore. Or perhaps he's one of those gay guys and they're out there who assumes wrongly that because he's gay and he's not interested in you sexually in any way and you're a straight woman and you're not interested in him sexually in any way, that anything goes in that relationship. That any comment that he might make is just playful horse shittery and certainly not something you're going to feel threatened by because he would never want to have sex with you. So it's just naughty talk. It's just dirty banter and meaningless and harmless. You need to let him know that it ain't harmless and it ain't meaningless and it made you feel threatened and it ain't okay. And not to be ageist, you could look at him and say, have you been to the doctor lately? Because this is the sort of thing. These are the sorts of comments that sometimes people start making late in life when they are losing their grip, and that is the charitable read here. If you're uncomfortable having him in your class, though, get him booted the fuck out of your class. Somebody who's following you to bathrooms and then making comments like that before you head into a single-seater is no one that you want following you to a single-seater bathroom with a lock on the door, gay, identified, or not. You have some power in this situation. You have some institutional authority. You have the ability to boot this motherfucker from your class. Maybe that'll open his eyes to the inappropriateness of these kinds of comments if indeed he's been engaged in this kind of quote-unquote harmless banter all his life. Or maybe it will inspire him to go see a fucking doctor if indeed there's some underlying medical issue at play here. But you don't have to take this from him or anyone. Go to whoever it is that runs the college-level writing program, wherever it is that you work. Speak to the person above you about removing this person from your class. You have an absolute right to do that. You ought to do that. There should be consequences 
for him. And you should feel safe in your classroom and be safe from this kind of harassment. Use the power that you have in this circumstance. You don't want to be looking over your shoulder to see if this creep is following you to the bathroom again, ever. Hi, Dan. I'm a female in my early 20s, straight. And I recently um, broke up with someone who I've been dating for about eight, eight months. And there were some like emotional incompatibilities that I didn't really feel like made it worth continuing. But more than that, my ex-boyfriend had a very specific fetish that I just didn't really want to do anymore. And I knew, I knew from the time we'd been together that it was a really big deal for him. And that it's honestly, it was one of the only things that made him like completely erect. And so like it was, we had to do it in order to, um, in order to even have enjoyable sex for me. Um, and it was, basically like human trafficking, like more than just kidnapping and gags and bondage, which can be really fun. Um, But it was, you know, it's really one of the only things that he wanted to do. And after we broke up, I let him know that I didn't really want to do that as much as he wanted to. And he chose to be very upset and damaged by that. And I don't want to feel like I shamed him. I just wanted to make it clear that like, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I feel very weird that I've now maybe shamed someone into thinking that they have a problem. And that's, that's not what I meant. I just meant that it wasn't compatible with me, which I think is a very reasonable thing to consider in a relationship. Anyway, um, but my question is, like, do I have any responsibility to, like, help this person feel less shamed? Or do I just sort of need to let him go since we're not together and hope that he heals from it with someone who also wants to do that. He had a very specific and elaborate fantasy scenario kink with bondage elements. And you went there, you were completely good giving in game and you gave it a go and realized in the end that this wasn't for you. And so a long-term relationship with him wasn't in the cards, particularly if he's so dependent on acting out this fantasy that he can't get an erection in any other way. And this wasn't something that you were willing to do every single time or able to do, nor was it reasonable of him to expect you to do every single time you had sex with him for the next five or six decades. Yeah, you guys weren't a match. You weren't sexually compatible and you have a right to prioritize basic bedrock sexual compatibility when you're picking a romantic and sexually exclusive partner. So you're absolutely right to end the relationship and within your rights to cite this as a reason that you two weren't good for each other. Now, his reaction that he feels shamed by you, do you have a responsibility to help him process that? Maybe if you like him on the way out the door, that could just be a retaliatory, sulky reaction on his part. Or he could genuinely feel guilty to find out from someone that for the last eight months they've been having sex with you that squicked them out and they didn't enjoy because they were giving it a go. That can leave you feeling a little bit awful about your desires, about, about yourself, because you were doing this thing with them that they weren't enjoying, but they were giving it a go and they seemed to be enjoying it. And then you find out later they really weren't. Uh, that can leave you feeling shitty about your kinks. And you can tell him that there were some parts of it that you enjoyed. You just couldn't do only that forever. That's what was the tripwire for you that made you have to end this relationship was that he was so dependent on it. And the more you played in this space, the more you explored this scenario with him, the less appealing it became over time. That doesn't mean you never enjoyed yourself at all. 
It just means you weren't the right one for him. And you can say all that to him. And he may still spin this up into I have been horribly king shamed because he wants to be the victim here of his sex trafficking fantasies somehow. And you can't help that. You can't prevent him from spinning this up into he was wronged. And the relationship is over. There's only so much you owe him. Gave him an explanation about why the relationship had to end. And you can, although you're not obligated to give him an explanation now that lets him off the kink shame hook. But it doesn't sound to me like you put him on the king shame hook. Sounds like he put himself on the king shame hook. And you can say that to him too. Nothing to be ashamed about so long as you're doing these things with consenting adults who get off on them too. I thought I might have been that consenting adult. I gave it a go. I tried. Didn't work for me long term. So I'm out. Go find somebody that this works for long term. Someone whose arousal is as dependent on this fantasy as yours is. Find that person. They're the match. I'm not the match. That doesn't make anything shamey about your kink or this scenario. You have nothing to be ashamed of, so stop it. And I have nothing to be ashamed of. Sometimes people claim that they're being kink-shamed to reverse double backflip kink-shame the person kink-shaming them. Sometimes people claim that they're being kink-shamed in a reverse double backflip effort to kink-shame shame the person who isn't actually kink-shaming them. And that may be his game here. It's a complicated one. Good luck anyone out there who tries to diagram that last sentence. I salute you, but the relationship is over and there's only so much you owe him and helping him crawl off the kink hook shame he put himself on that is above and beyond that is extra credit. That is not something that you owe him, but you can, if you want, give that to him. Hi, Dan. Um, I have a situation that I recently discovered that has totally unnerved me. Um, to give you a little background, I'm 48, my boyfriend's 49, and we've been together just over a year and a half, living together for the past year. Things have been great between us. Um, I consider this probably one of the best relationships I've ever had. We're both GGG. Um, I was curious about pegging, which he enthusiastically agreed to, and he was into waterworks, which I agreed to. On our computer, we have a separate sign-on for us to download porn and images that are just for us. Um, we both access this occasionally. And this past weekend, he was out of town for a couple of days, and so I got on the site, and we've had some computer crashing issues, and so he's had to restore the computer a couple of times. Well, apparently this last time that he did that, it went back to a former version that I've never seen before. And so I found photographs that he had taken of himself where he was posed that he inserted into memes that he had made of himself and his ex-wife and his ex-girlfriend where they're bathed in or eating shit. He also downloaded lots of pictures of women bathed in shit, people shitting, just all around shit. He added paragraphs about how our slut wives love to eat our shit and about how he and his ex were your perverted satanic friends. Um, there's also memes where he's talking to this, like, leave it to beaver looking family about how religion's bad and that shit eating and fucking are great. There were hundreds of these. Um, the photos stop a couple months after we started dating. And I've never seen this side of him or heard him mention this, but he spent a tremendous amount of time and effort and energy to make all of these. And so I have to believe that it's something he may want to do eventually. I know myself and there's no way in hell that I will ever practice this. So my question and my dilemma is, is this something that could have possibly been a phase or is there a chance that he could spring this on me in the future? We do have plans of getting married in a couple of years, and um, like I said, our relationship has been great. We've discussed being monogamous because we both stated that's kind of what we practice, and we haven't ever felt the need to step outside 
because we're open to each other's desires. But this is a line I know I will never cross. I don't want to lose him, but I'm worried that I may not be the right woman for him after all, if this is something that he's into. So if you have any advice that you can give me, I would appreciate it. Yeah. No one is really shit curious. Nobody's like, hmm, shit, I don't know, maybe. And let's give that a try and make thousands of images and take lots of pictures of ourselves bathed in and eating each other's shit. People who get into shit tend to be shit certain. They know that that's what they want. They know that that's their thing. And the internet exists to bring these people together. The internet exists in part, thank you, Al Gore, to skim the shit people off the top of the dating pond. You know, it used to be that people with really extreme fetishes, people who are into shit, people who are into uh, extreme uh, S&M, people who are into necrophilia, uh, kind of had to spring that on unwitting partners or be with people that they never fully revealed themselves to sexually and seek those experiences outside the relationship because they could never risk the reveal because there are some kinks that are, to borrow uh, pretty emeritus, Emily Yopi's phrase, libido killers. Just knowing that your partner is into this can be a libido killer for the person who doesn't share the kink. And shit for a lot of people is that kind of libido killing kink, even if they're not asking you to act upon it, knowing that somebody is into that. And that's a stigma and perhaps that's sex shamey and kink shamey. On the flip side though, what arouses someone with this kind of kink is the massive transgression it represents, the feelings of revulsion that it elicits in most people who don't share this kink, don't share this fetish. So you can't have the arousal that is grounded in the transgressiveness and the revulsion most will experience and then not have a little bit of the kink shame or the stigma or the libido killing effect on others who don't share your kink. Those things are welded together. So your boyfriend and potential future husband's interest in shit, a phase unlikely, particularly if you found hundreds or thousands of images featuring him and his exes engaged in this sort of behavior. Something he may spring on you later? Yeah, maybe. So this shared computer where you found these images, you didn't hack it. You say it's a shared computer where you stumbled over these images. I think you have a right to ask him about what you've discovered. You can't unknow what you now know. And this is a conversation, a really difficult conversation that you are going to have to have with him and a conversation you're going to have to have in a mirror with yourself. You need to tell him. You need to ask him, is this something that you're hoping that a year or two down the line I might get into? And what up with all of these images? And tell him that this is something you will never be into, that this is someplace you can never go. And if he can't be happy with someone who is never going to make satanic shit porn with him ever that you're not the right partner for him. And then the conversation you need to have in the mirror is a conversation about whether knowing that this is a fetish of his, knowing that this is a kink that he's enjoyed in the past and given his druthers might want to enjoy with you or enjoy in the future with someone else. Is that a libido killer for you? Is that something that will preoccupy you when you're having sex with him? Wondering if that's tape is spooling through his mind or is it something you can suspend your disbelief about and just set aside and say I'm not going to think about the fact that you're into this and you can successfully then not think about it ever again and if the answer is no that this is going to be a constant existential torment to you whether or not he ever asks you to engage in this behavior with him then your partner of the last year and change might not be somebody that you can be with for the rest of your life and if this is something that he can't live without then you might not be the right partner for him either. And God bless the internet that exists in part to bring 
the poop lovers together. It used to be hard for the poop lovers to find each other. Now poop lovers are squicky Google search away. Tough situation to be in. My heart goes out to you. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old, and my question concerning my 20-year-old brother. Uh, basically, two days before Thanksgiving last year, uh, my mom kind of coerced my brother into coming out to her. Um, and I say coerced because if she has an inkling of anything that you're keeping from her, she will force you to tell her. So after um, she kind of explained that he begrudgingly confessed that he was gay, uh, he told her that he would prefer that she not tell anyone, especially my dad, and you know, kind of keep it between the two of them. So, of course, my mom immediately tells my dad, and then two days later on Thanksgiving, tells me. And, you know, none of us could care less. We love him. Um, you know, it doesn't matter to me at all that he's gay. But the problem is that since her revelation to us, she has continued to tell every single member of our family, my sister, her aunt, her sisters, strangers, like she will literally tell anybody. But she has made us all promise that we won't approach my brother and let him know that we know because then she will quote unquote get in trouble that she confessed this to us without his consent. But now it's August. It's been nine months since we've been told. Um, I've kind of strategically put myself alone with my brother on occasion, just trying to, you know, see if maybe he'll open up to me and nothing. So at this point, I'm wondering, Dan, is it better for me to just come out with it and say, I know it doesn't matter. I love you, you know, and kind of get on with our lives? Or do I owe it to my mom and my brother to keep his secret and allow him to come to me when he's ready? Like, what would you have wanted from your sister? If mom's going to out your brother, which is essentially what she's done to you, to dad, to strangers on the street, to distant relatives, I don't see why you shouldn't out mom to your brother. Mom's outed your brother to scores of people. You're outing mom to just one person. You know what you know. Your brother needs to know what you know. And I think your brother needs to know how you found out so that in the future, if there's something that he doesn't want broadcast to the whole world, that he tells mom about it last. Mom has essentially constructed a closet for all of you. You're all in the closet about knowing your brother is himself in a little bit of a closet. And at a certain point, it's all going to come tumbling out. He's going to find out sooner or later. And then there's going to be a lot of time wasted. There's already, there's already been time wasted where he could have been receiving from you and others in the family your love and support. And instead, he's on the receiving end of silence and he believes that his secret is still a secret. And if mom has a reputation for not being able to keep a secret, perhaps your brother wanted it to play out this way. Perhaps your brother told mom this so that she would tell everyone and he wouldn't have to tell them himself. And now he feels as if he is out or doesn't need to be addressed or he's waiting for one of you to say something. So yeah, go ahead and say something. You know what you know and your brother needs to know how you found it out. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm a 20-something female from Colorado, and my boyfriend is in his 40s. We recently were in New York and decided to try out a swingers club. Uh, we've been together for a little more than a year and a half and have never tried something like this, but figured it was something frisky, so why not? Um, our first experience was that there were a lot of unsavory people, and it wasn't really our thing. Uh, about a week after that, we tried to go back again, hoping it's better. Uh, it was busier. There were a few more attractive people. 
and things seemed to be going okay. Then I went to the bathroom for just a minute and told him he had my permission to keep himself hard and watch this woman being spanked right in front of where we were uh, just having sex. As soon as I come back from the bathroom, I notice he's no longer in the bed, but he's very close to this woman's body and spanking her. I was so furious, I left immediately and told him I wanted to get on a plane. Um, I felt completely betrayed that we had planned to just dip our toes into this whole new crazy lifestyle. And as soon as I turned my back, he decided to do whatever his penis told him to. Uh, I'm still kind of at a loss for what to do or feel, but now he's mentioning that he's always had a fantasy of having a threesome, which what guy doesn't feel that, I guess. Um, I'm kind of really angry at the point that I'm not feeling like I want to do this, but I still kind of maybe want to, and I don't really know what to think or feel. So what did your boyfriend say when you got angry about you walking away for a minute and him spanking this woman? When you told him he could keep himself hard and watch, you come back, he's hard and spanking, and you got angry. What did he say? What was his excuse? How did he explain himself? Well, he kind of just, he looked kind of surprised that I was angry. And so basically I walked back up and I was assuming he'd be in the bed. And I just sat there with my arms crossed and my mouth was just dropped to the floor, just at amazement that he was doing this. And I waited for about 10 seconds for him to turn around. He saw me and I said, we're going home. I'm done. Like, I'm really not happy about this. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't mean to. I didn't feel like it was anything sexual. It was just something weird. And I was just really angry that he was trying to rationalize the situation. Mm -hmm. And um, just at that point, you know, we walked out and we left and I was really, really hurt. And I just felt like he didn't really take it very serious and that he totally just disrespected like our relationship and didn't really think about how I would feel. So about what it. had you said when you, you left to go to the bathroom? Keep yourself hard and do not fucking touch anyone with your penis or any other part of your body. What did you say? Well, so the thing was, so 20 minutes before this had all happened, uh, it was only our second time there, so we are just trying to, I guess, kind of dip our toe in and just kind of feel around and just see if this was kind of something for us. And we had explicitly discussed 20 minutes before all this happened that it's just us tonight, like we're just going to be with each other. We can watch other people, but we're not bringing anyone else in. There's going to be no touching or any interaction with any other people besides just us being together. And it was very clear. And spanking is touching. I'm assuming because I said no interaction whatsoever. Like, I'm not comfortable. I'm just trying to ease into this. And, you know, I'm just trying to, like, feel around and see if this is something that we want to continue doing because we'd never experienced something like this. And we'd always wanted to try it. What I'm trying to determine is whether this was a miscommunication or this is a self-serving rationalization on your boyfriend's part. She said no. She said no sex, but I was only spanking. She or was it no contact, no physical touch? Oh, hands off, everybody. We're just here to watch, not participate, not interact with anyone else in their thing, whatever it is. And if that was your understanding going in, if that was clearly communicated and that had been agreed to, then your boyfriend's engaged in a massive self-serving rationalization that leaves me concerned about how safe you'd be having a three-way with this guy. Exactly. And that's the thing that he had mentioned. I told him, like, you know, this is a safe place. You can tell me about your fantasies and I can try and, you know, like, see if I'm comfortable with it. And maybe one day we can try it. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, ever since the whole situation happened, I'm just kind of like on the fence and still like really like internally hurting Mm -hmm. about the fact that he did it without 
asking me and I told him to like try and put himself in my position and like that would have never happened if it was me because if he had gone to the bathroom or stepped out I would always think what would he want to do mm-hmm. you know like if would he be okay with me doing this and I felt like he didn't think that and if he had asked you know? if he had asked you if you'd been sitting there with him at this moment and hadn't gone to the bathroom and wanted to jump up and spank this woman too if he had asked would you have okayed it in the moment and I don't think he should have asked like if you had an agreement going in that this was at this visit was we're going to look only and touch each other only it is not good for someone who's made that agreement before sex to start trying to renegotiate to reopen the negotiations about what is or isn't permissible cuz that can leave someone feeling pressured to like you know, not shut it down to, to, to play along. And then someone might consent to something or grudgingly give their consent to something that afterwards leave them feeling manipulated and hurt. But if he had asked, would you have okayed it? Not from a manipulated hurt place, but from a, okay, in for a penny, in for a pound place. Yeah, actually I think I would have been okay with it. I think that if I would have been there and maybe, I don't know, I would have done it first and I would have kind of had some interaction with this girl uh, maybe I would have been okay with it, but just the situation was that like I'd left and as soon as I'd walked out, apparently so there were two women, one was shackled up and then there was another woman spanking her. So the woman that was doing the spanking mm-hmm. had walked up to him and said, go slap her ass. And he did it without even considering. Oh my God. What an idiot. Cause if he'd it. waited, if he just said I, like, just a minute, I got away from my I girlfriend know. to get back and then said, I've been invited to spank her. Is that all right with you? He could have had everything he wanted, but you know what he, you know what he didn't exactly. He didn't ask for permission because he was afraid that the answer might be no. So he just fucking went for it. Right? Ugh. That's what I think. I just, I feel like on like this unconscious level that it's just like his unconscious thoughts were coming well, out. Dickful thinking. I just felt like the reason he did it, I feel like the reason he did it is because he thought that maybe if he would have asked me, I would have said no. And he was assuming that it would be better to ask for forgiveness than permission. That was the next thing going to be out of my mouth. Ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Okay, yeah. now let's talk about this three-way. I, I want to talk about how you would feel having a three-way with a boyfriend. Not necessarily this boyfriend, but a boyfriend. You've been with this person. You've been sexually exclusive with this person. They want to have a three-way. When you think about that situation, do you have a knot in your stomach? Are you filled with dread? Do you worry how you'll react if they are penetrating this other person? And every three-way, as I like to say, becomes a two-way now and then. In every three-way, there's going to be a moment yeah. where somebody's on the outside of the action briefly. And general advice for people who are having three ways, don't freak out at that moment. Anticipate that moment. Talk about that moment in advance. And if you're not the kind of person who can let it be a two-way for a minute and enjoy the view and take vicarious pleasure, then you need to have an agreement that when that inevitably, invariably happens where it just accidentally becomes a brief two-way, you clear your throat or say, hey, I need to jump back in here too without – freaking out or melting down because it's going to fucking happen. And if you can't handle that, if that's something that, you know, if your partner suddenly is kind of connecting with this other person and there's not an entry point, sometimes literally an entry point for you and you're briefly outside of it, if you contemplate that moment and just get angry, maybe a three-way isn't for you. So tell me when you think about a three-way, what excites you and what fills you with dread? Well, honestly, before this all happened, like, I was really kind of excited at the fact that, you know, maybe we could have a three-way and it could be something cool. But at the same time, like after this all happened, I really have kind of a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to talking about it because, I don't know, I just feel like at the moment I can't really trust him. And I feel like, 
Okay, but you, know, but you have, to, you have whole... to separate a desire to punish him for his misdeeds in New York from your desire to maybe have that three-way. Mm-hmm. Like, are you withholding your consent or no longer willing to contemplate having a three-way because you just don't think he should be rewarded? Or are you worried that, like in that sex club in New York, during the three-way, he may start doing things that you guys agreed in advance would not be done during that three-way? Some couples, their first three-way, just like yeah. their first visit to a sex club, they have rules. Like, this is what can happen, this is what can't happen. And sometimes it's, you can fuck this person, but you can't make out with this person. Kissing's just for us. Or it's the reverse. Like, you can make out with this person, you have oral with this person, but penetrative sex, vaginal mm-hmm. intercourse, that's just for us for now. I need to have that held back. I'm not ready to watch you fuck somebody else the way you fuck me. And so we're not going to do that. And yeah. you don't want to have a three-way with somebody who during the three-way turns to you and says, can I fuck her or fuck him? Where then you have to be the buzzkill. You have to be the person who says no in front of your boyfriend and the person who would probably like to be fucked by your boyfriend at that moment. You have to be the heavy. And that's an unfair position to put somebody in mid-three-way, which is why you don't reopen negotiations during a three-way. And that's what concerns me about having a three-way with your boyfriend because that ask for forgiveness rather than permission, that was him essentially reopen negotiations during your sex club visit in a manipulative and unfair way. And what you need to talk with your boyfriend – and I'm not saying you shouldn't have a three-way with your boyfriend. You need to talk about this. Look, sure. what you did there was – Reopen negotiations by presenting me the fait accompli. You're having contact with somebody else and then ask me if that's okay. And what can't happen if we have a three-way is any reopening of negotiations. Whatever we agree to going into this three-way, what's on the menu, what's off the menu, whatever's off the menu stays the fuck off the menu. No reopening negotiations. You have a hot 20 years younger than you girlfriend who is sexually adventurous. Do you want to throw that away? Do you want me to pack up my shit and go? Then keep this up. You know, keep violating me in these ways. Keep manipulating me while we're having these ad- sexual adventures in ways that leave me feeling disrespected, uncomfortable, unsafe with you. And we're not going to have a relationship anymore, sexual or otherwise. And so I think that's what you need to drill down on. Not have the three-way, not have the three-way. But if we were to have a three-way, look what happened in that sex club in New York. It wasn't so much that you touched somebody else. It's that you violated our agreement and I don't want to have sex with someone who leaves me feeling violated. So if we have a three way, you have one shot to get it right. So you can't get carried away. I got carried away at the sex club. I was thinking with my dick. No, 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 no. You have to be able to outthink your fucking dick or you can't have three ways with me. That's what you need to say to him. Yeah. So one other thing. So I don't really know if like this is, normal or not but so basically he if we do have a three-way he wants me to be okay with him you know having another woman in but if we bring another guy in it's just not okay <laughs> like he he totally wouldn't be okay with me being with any other guy in any way or fashion at all but i should be okay with him being a, with another woman i don't really know if that's fair not, or i don't know if it's fair it's, to. it's not fair but but sex ain't always fair Right? Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with him having sex with another woman? At the moment, no. But I think that I mean, I think that I could be. But I also think that we had talked about, you know, the first time if we ever end up doing it, the first time should be that, you know, it's okay, you know, oral and kissing, but having sex is just kind of down on the table at the mm-hmm. moment. But maybe if we ever do it again after the first time, then I would be okay with the sex part. But just I don't know. I mean, at the moment, I'm really not wanting it but i know that in the future i think i will it's just i'm still kind of hurting 
from the whole sex club. And how long ago was the sex club thing? Uh, let's see. Either six or seven days ago. Oh, my ago, God. So this so. just happened. So you're still reeling from it. Yeah, it just happened. You have the conversation with him that yeah. I suggested. You know, there's a lot of straight guys who have this hang-up about wanting a three-way with two women but not wanting a three-way with two men because it might turn them gay or they're afraid they won't be able to get a heart on if another guy's dick is in the room. Or they're insecure about the size of their dick or they don't want to accidentally end up having a three-way with a guy who's a bigger dick and they don't want to watch their girlfriend grooving on a bigger dick because then they'll feel inadequate for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's bullshit. And I think if you want a three-way with – your girlfriend and another woman, you should be down for having a three-way with your girlfriend and another dude if you're a dude. And it should be fair. But there are women out there who don't want to have a guy-guy-girl three-way. Uh, they might be up for a, a girl-girl-guy three-way and, and and not feel cheated out of anything. So that's the question you should ask. Not, is it perfectly fair because I'm getting exactly what he's getting? Is No, the question is, are we getting what we want out of this? And if I want a three-way and I want the same kind of three-way he is, we don't, you know, on a point of principle have to have the opposite kind of three-way just so everything is on the ledger fair. You know, what matters is what you want, what turns you on, what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with. And clearly you're not done fighting about New York. Clearly you're not done having this conversation about New York. Uh, Drill down on you reopen negotiations in a manipulative, dishonest way. Leaves me feeling like I can't trust you during a three-way. So kick that three-way can down the road at least six months and you can keep discussing what went on in that sex club and get a better sense over time whether it was an anomaly, whether it was out of character, whether it's something he would never do again, whether he has clarity and can see and clearly articulate what he did wrong and why he did it wrong. And then maybe you can think about having that first three-way. And then if you have that first three-way and he attempts – and he does it again, you know, he agrees just oral and kissing and suddenly he's asking you if he can fuck her or he suddenly just starts fucking the other woman, you need to get the fuck out of this relationship. That's not somebody you can trust. Good luck. Thanks, Dan. Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at Rescue. I'm a 24-year-old cis straight girl in Washington, D.C. I recently ended my second relationship in a row with someone who was generous, steadfast, intelligent, and cute, and someone who really loved me deeply. The first guy lasted a year and a half, although perhaps eight months in, I had lost my feelings and attraction for him. We eventually stopped having sex altogether, And I couldn't bring myself to end things because he hadn't done anything quote-unquote wrong. But when I booked a job on the road for six months, I was able to dump him. But right before I left for that work trip, I met another wonderful man. And we stayed together through my travels, through him moving to my city, and until now, only seven months later. I just ended things because despite him also being the most giving partner imaginable, he didn't excite me. So this pattern begs the question... Can I be happy with the kind of person that I wish to be happy with? Someone who's mature and communicative and sweet. I'm genuinely worried that I've thrown away too many awesome people in the name of some mythical man or in the name of some passionate hypothetical feelings. I know that people do fall in love in a grandiose way, that people enjoy and laugh and fuck to no end with their partners, and I want that in addition to the tender communication that my ex has offered. What do I do with the potential realization that I don't go for the nice guys, so to speak? I know I'm young and I have many more experiences ahead of me, but I guess I just want to know if there's something that I can work on personally as I move forward. It also stands to note that my tendency is to have a new guy queued up when I break up with someone, although that is not the case this time. There are people out there who aren't cut out for, don't want, but are convinced they should want and try then to have long-term relationships. 
there are people out there who sexual romantic interest is temporary and not something that they can sustain over the long haul and they lose interest in someone once they've landed them. Maybe you're one of those people or maybe these guys who were nice on paper and perfect for you on paper in all of these ways weren't really the guys who were perfect for you. Maybe you haven't met the guy who's perfect for you. Maybe you're picking guys to date and looking at them and saying they're perfect for all of these reasons, but they're not your reasons. They're reasons that were pounded into your head by family or church or the culture. They're the guys that you are convinced you're supposed to want, but not actually the guys you do want. And perhaps you need to break out of the pattern and date different types of guys, date guys and fuck guys who aren't the guys who meet all of these perhaps arbitrary, perhaps not your criteria and see if one of them doesn't click and click long term and sustain your sexual interest over time. But if you do that, if you date more broadly, if you open up your heart and your legs to different types of guys and this pattern sustains itself over time, well, then you're a short-term relationship type. And that's not a terrible thing to be so long as you're not misrepresenting to yourself, so long as you're not lying to guys about there being any long, long, long multi-decade term prospects with you. You can date other guys who are similarly sexually and romantically situated. There are lots of people out there who don't want LTRs. Not all of them know it. So you see people getting into committed LTRs and having to blow them up, having to force the person to dump them or dumping that person, making commitments that they shouldn't have made over and over and over again because they never learn to accept or learn to recognize who they are romantically and sexually. But I think it is too soon to put that label on yourself. And it's not a dinged can damaged label. It's just as valid as somebody who's up for and seeking and able to make a long-term commitment and, and sustain sexual romantic interest in someone over the decades. It's only a problem when people don't know themselves and aren't honest with themselves about who they are and what they want and then wind up hurting people, person after person after person after person, because they are convinced that they should want and therefore are going to continue to make serious commitments, long-term commitments, when they're incapable of honoring or keeping them. And because they're not actually what they want, but they won't admit that to themselves because a good person wants a long-term relationship and I want to be a good person. So I'm going to keep striving for this thing that I keep proving to myself and others over and over and over again that I am bad at. But like I said, too soon to put that label on yourself. Break out of this pattern. You talk about these two guys and they sound very similar, these guys, and they meet these standards, your criteria. I would challenge you on whether the criteria you are employing right now is your criteria or your mom's criteria or Cosmo's criteria or Vogue's criteria or the media's criteria or your church's criteria and not actually yours. Who are the guys you masturbate about? What unspools in your head when you masturbate? Are they these guys or is it a totally different type of guy? Things to think about. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old straight female, and I've been in a monogamous relationship with my boyfriend for two years now. We recently moved in together, and things are going pretty well, except for my boyfriend's attachment to his ex-girlfriend. They're still friends, which in general I think is fine, but it seems like there's something more there, and it makes me feel pretty insecure. They had a really up-and-down, tumultuous relationship compared to our pretty even keel one, and she hasn't dated anybody since then. He's still close to her family and is always going to her brother's comedy shows and her mom sends him gardening tips and books and things like that. 
they also know I exist and I attend a lot of these outings as well. And I'm always very friendly whenever we're around his ex or her family. But a couple of weeks ago, my insecurity got the best of me and I looked through his text thread with her. And I know your feelings about that, <laughs> but um, I did do it. And though I didn't find anything super incriminating, their conversations are a little too intimate and flirty for what I would have liked between him and his ex. She lives right near where he rides bikes on Thursdays and they have a running joke that he uses her place as a locker room um, and he showers there and leaves clothes there uh, so he can uh, go there after his bike rides, which I didn't know about. On some days when he'd kiss me goodbye to go on a run in the morning, he'd run to the farmer's market where she works so they could get breakfast together. She also sent him a lot of pictures of scenery on her bike rides, which is a pastime they share together that I don't. And there's just a lot of flirty conversations back and forth almost on a daily basis. I know he's not sleeping with her, and he's explained their friendship to me over and over. But I still just can't seem to shake the bad feeling I have around it. It also bothers me that he knows it bothers me and still doesn't tone it down. If they really are just friends, then what is he doing? Does he just like the attention? Is he keeping her on some sort of back burner? Is it just my insecurity speaking? I know I'm never going to date anyone that doesn't have a past, and he has a right to have private, independent relationships with his friends. In fact, I think that's key to a healthy relationship. But why does it have to be with his super cool ex-girlfriend? Am I being overly insecure here, or is this behavior objectively weird? Joining me in the studio to help tackle this question, someone who knows something about comedy shows, Amy Miller, comedian, You've seen her on Last Comic Standing, Viceland, voted three years in a row, port, pardon me, two years in a row, mm-hmm. Portland's funniest comedian and a regular panelist on some podcast called Doug Loves Movies. <laughs> it's a big podcast, Dan. Well, I can't keep track of all the big podcasts. <laughs> There's so many big podcasts. I'm a big podcast. I know. I'm so excited to be here. And you're a big podcast, too. Yeah, getting there. You have Who's Your God? It's yes. Your podcast about religion. It's all about religion. We talk to comedians about their spiritual beliefs. Oh, my God. Yes. Got a godless group of people. Okay. Much so. like this gentleman, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're here because you're an expert on relationships and love. No, no. You're here because you're funny <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you. And sometimes I like to emphasize that like advice is just something anybody can do. You don't have to be like an expert in a particular yeah. field to like – you don't need to any qualifications. People always ask me like what are your qualifications to give advice? I'm like somebody asked. Well, and, and it's necessary to think about relationships and love to do comedy, I think. I mean, I talk about it on stage, so I have to be somewhat thoughtful and observant. You have to be conversant. Yes. So uh, this woman's boyfriend is fucking his ex. Yeah. Oh, no, he's not. No, you Dan. don't think so? No, I think they're friends. Fre- but showering th- friends? Mm, I mean, I might project- Storing clothes at, his, at her apartment friends? That part is weird. I think that the showering and the clothing is definitely a boundary crossing. But- she only knows about it because she read his text. So it sounds like they have some deep other trust issues. Well, I always say that uh, digging into someone's texts or, you know, going reading their emails is always wrong unless you find something <laughs> that retroactively makes it right. Like if you, you know, there are people who I read your text and I found out that you're having, you know, unsafe sex with a thousand people and not telling me about right, it. And you right. drained our bank account seeing sex work. Like sometimes you find something out that yes, legitimizes the snooping retroactively sure. that you needed to know. Yes, and this, but don't you think people have the intuition before they read the text that something is off and they have a right, distrust the, of this person anyway? Right, but sometimes that person is successfully gaslighting them and yes. telling them that they're crazy. Sure. And you need to find the evidence that you aren't crazy. Yes. They are fucking your ex or draining your bank account or having unsafe sex with a million 
with a cast of thousands right. and putting you at risk. So it's, it's odd that the caller, who's apparently a listener to the show, would have to be because people would call me randomly. I don't mm. steal other people's questions from other advice shows that she's listened. And we've covered this a million times. Like it's always wrong. Unless you find something and then it's right. But she hasn't really found anything. I she, mean, the showering out, is weird. She's found out that he is showering. You know, you see, maybe it's innocent. Maybe because he's sweaty and it's near the place where he bikes. Unless he, I guess he's biking in a velodrome, not just biking around town. It's near right. the place that he bikes or near the place that he works. And you see innocent like showering off and storing clothes. And this yeah. kind of interests me. And I see destroying evidence. I, I see him oh, showering the other woman's. Pussy stank off his dick before he goes home to his girlfriend. <laughs> well, let's give the other lady a little bit of credit because maybe she's not even interested in fucking her ex anymore. I take this a little personally because I'm friends with all my exes, Dan. I'm friends with my exes too. I, I think that people, I think it's always a great sign when someone's a friend with their ex. I love my exes. But there's friends with your ex and they're showering with your ex. That is weird. And that's not something that I would do without telling my boyfriend. Or, I mean, I, I just wouldn't do it. I respect that relationship. But I bet if he dug into my texts with some of my exes, they could be construed as flirty. Mm-hmm. That's just we're close friends and we love each other. And those are valuable relationships to me. And sometimes, you know, flirting with exes, it's not so much about flirting. It's about being nostalgic for the relationship you used to have. Yeah, it's familiarity. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes people misinterpret convos that they uncover with exes as flirty or incriminating when they're actually just yes. wistful or nostalgic. An acknowledgement yeah. of what you used to mean to each other and sometimes a playful invocation of the, the, the sex that you had, the intimacy that you want share. Yeah, and that's a way that you're used to communicating already. So it's a really natural progression. But if they're sending each other pictures of their assholes, there's a problem. <laughs> well, that's not what's happening here. She didn't find an asshole picture. Well, I'm just saying generally. We're not in the specifics of her problem. Right, like right. He, if yeah. you dig into your boyfriend's phone and he's it's sending pictures hu- of his assholes to people, there might be – It's a huge problem. And I just need to look into his asshole. Yeah. I'm extremely loyal. So I never cross any of those boundaries with my ex and I make sure to talk about him a lot, you which they love. only send pictures of your <laughs> asshole to the guy you're seeing. <laughs> they already have old pictures of my asshole. They can look <laughs> at it younger and thinner. <laughs> He's stuck with the current version. Okay, so, so the only weird part is the showering. Is that... And the inconsideration? Is that a problem? Yes, it is. This is a fine thing. To, this is this is require <laughs> some unpacking though because... I'm always coming down on people who are angry that their currents are friends with their exes because I think you're a potential future ex too. Yeah. And somebody who's shitty to all of their exes. And you're very likely going to be a future ex because almost all relationships fail until one doesn't. People have a lot more former partners than current partners typically. Mm -hmm. And so somebody who's on good terms with their exes I think is proving that they're a good person. There's someone that yeah. people want in their lives still, even if the romantic relationship ends and, and if, capable of having that kind of connection. Yeah. And if you're in a new relationship and you have an ex you've been friends with 10, 15 years, I mean, in some ways that's more important thing to nurture because you don't know where this new thing is going. And someone who you've been dating for two months who demands that you cut things off with someone who's been a presence in your life for right. 15 years that maybe you were with for two years romantically, yeah. you're likelier to get rid of the two-monther than the 15-year-er. I would hope so. Or you're making weird decisions. <laughs> yeah, you are making weird decisions. But people make these kind of demands all the time. So I mm-hmm. am pro-friends with exes, but there's got to be a point at which you need to demonstrate to your current that you're not doing things that would alarm them unnecessarily if nothing's going on. And I'm sorry, showering at your ex's house. Totally agree. Kind of alarming. Yeah. If he's doing it, he should have talked to her about he, it for he, sure. He's not having lunch with his ex. He's not hanging out with his ex. He's not seeing her at comedy shows where they see other friends. He's naked in his ex's apartment right. and wet. Well, rule number one is don't date a comedian because um, <laughs> they're horrible people, the male ones. 
And I just think the male ones. <laughs> there's no, it, this is not a surprise to me. I'm not saying that he's necessarily cheating, but it is, uh, it is a job that attracts some, some shady men, uh, a lot of the time. But Disloyal only good, men. Only good women. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Well, we have to, be, well, not 100%, but we have to be like fairly strong to put up with most of this shit. Um, and like us, like self actualized and realized people <laughs> by the time we start it. Otherwise, we'll get eaten alive. Comedy, there's so many prominent female comedians, but comedy, you, you, when you hear, you talk to people, you speak to comedians, it, it remains a tough world for, for women to, to break into, at least initially, doesn't it? Yes, it's very hard. It sucks. But, but, uh, and, and this is an interesting dynamic because. I think that we are a little bit less of dirtbags because a lot of male comedians, when they start, that's the first time they're really getting proposition for sex all the time. <laughs> because they're on stage and all of a sudden they're like, oh, people want to fuck me. People never wanted to fuck me. Teenagehood. Yeah, college, nothing. And now I started comedy. But, you know, women start comedy and we're like, oh, yeah, people have always wanted to fuck me. This is not new. <laughs> So men who go into comedy who meet with some success, you know, you see somebody on stage and they're charismatic and they're hilarious. And even if they're not your physical type, you will be attracted to them. So men who've never experienced that before, yeah. they may go a little crazy once yes. they have it. Yes, and they can be fairly disloyal. And I don't know if that's what's happening here, but... But there's never a shortage of dick for women. So women who go <laughs> no. into comedy aren't like, oh my God, dick suddenly. There's too many a lot of the time. <laughs> Coming to bat the dicks away. Yeah. All right, circling back to this person's problem, what would you advise her to do? Like practical <laughs> advice. We've, anal- we've analyzed what it might mean, the, the, the evidence that she found when she was doing that terrible, awful, never right snooping except when it is right retroactively mm-hmm. because she found something that justified the snooping. What would you advise her to do with her boyfriend? What should she say to him? It's so hard because I, she did do the, I do think she did the wrong thing and she didn't find like concrete evidence of cheating. So it's hard to go to him with that without breaking a lot of trust because now he's going to just be weird with her forever. But it's hard for someone to not know what they know. And she now knows these things that he's actively keeping from her Mm -hmm. so as not to arouse her suspicions. What I would say, I mean, I do get, um, I do get pretty jealous. Um, if, if I have a boyfriend who's seeming to be like, like secretive about his relationship with an ex if it's all out there like it's totally fine um but i might say like you know what i i'm embarrassed to even say this but i but i feel jealous and i can't change it this is how i feel i want to trust you you know have you been hanging out with her have you seen her lately if he says no and you have the evidence that that's not true then i don't know well, some, mean, but sometimes people lie to a partner because their partner's not rational on a certain subject. So they protect yeah. themselves and they protect their partner from unnecessary panic or absolutely trauma or drama in the relationship by withholding a little bit. I don't think you have to necessarily answer every question uh, honestly because yeah. a relationship ain't a deposition. And if you answer every question honestly in a relationship, that relationship's not going to survive. Yeah. So that's that, true. that someone withheld something isn't always evidence of something else going on. What might be going on is that person is controlling for your crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, if he has to do a lot of controlling for her crazy, then it it sounds like it might not be working anyway. If she's crazy. We're not saying you're crazy, Colin. No, we're not saying that you're crazy at all. We're, we're on to hypothetical people and examples and not necessarily. Yes. It. But if that were hypothetically the situation where she asks him and he says, no, no, I haven't hung out with her. I haven't seen her at all. And turn, and he's been going to her house to shower. Then <laughs> He's been going to, ho- going to her house to take all of his clothes off <laughs> and get wet. Then, uh, then either he's hiding something 
or he is, you know, doing some damage control, which I think is a, a sign of a, a greater issue. It would be interesting to get him on the phone because I'm not saying this is the case caller, but, you know, some people always minimize their own shit. Mm-hmm. Like she might be like, I'm fine with this relationship. I don't have a problem with it. Like, why is he withholding this? So we get him on the phone. And he's like, every time her name comes up, yep. she doesn't speak for two hours. She locks herself in the bathroom and cries. We have these explosive fights. Like mm-hmm. she could be omitting a lot of context that might speak to why he minimizes or has hidden this stuff. But if you're not doing that caller, if you are as sort of open to this relationship and open to your current boyfriend being friends with his exes and he's doing all this shit, mm-hmm. you know what you know, you're gonna have to talk to him about it. That's well, your is your advice that she tells him she read the text? Yeah. Also, don't date comedians. This is the book. <laughs> was, was the boyfriend a comedian? I thought well, they were friends with comedians. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> don't oh. date people who are friends with comedians. Don't date people who have comedians on their podcast. <laughs> I thought the boyfriend was a comedian, but I, I might have heard that wrong. It was no. so long ago that we listened to the call. Come to our remember. shows, for sure. Come to our shows. Just don't touch us with your genitals. <laughs> if he's going to a lot of comedy shows and he's not a comedian yet, he probably wants to be one. And that's the worst kind of dude. Hey, Dan. Straight gal from Seattle. I'd appreciate your help coming up with some responses. When dudes kind of like look at you and, you know, maybe don't mean to, but kind of demandingly uh, inquire, like, have you come yet? Um, And you haven't and you're not going to because that's not often how it works. How do you like respond to that honestly, but keep the vibes? Uh, sexy considering that lying isn't the right call and being pretty blunt about it like is not hot (laughs) would appreciate your feedback thanks we had to listen to your call like three times because you need to work on your consonants it came out hey we had to listen to that three times to get keeping the vibe sexy a little mumbly for sure mumbly yeah i'm thinking i'm wondering if these dudes just don't understand her when she's like i didn't come yet (laughs) what (laughs) excuse me um so, no. yes, dudes say, have you come yet to women? One of the release of being a fag and sleeping with guys, you know when he came. Mm-hmm. It's all they, over the place. Well, and then many dudes don't ask at all. <gasps> they just go right to sleep. Is that worse? Um. Oh, yeah, it's totally worse. Because in the have you come yet is sort of come on already. There's like an undertone of like, I've done everything I couldn't possibly do right. to make you come. Yeah, there's a tone that's shitty, but there's a nice way to say like, did you come? And you're just like, oh, you're an idiot. I mean, you would know. But uh, <laughs> but oh, yeah. Turn, just well, flipping. maybe you're a dude who's never seen a woman come before. Maybe yeah. none of the women you've been with have ever come. So how would you know? For sure. Yeah. And this happened a lot more when when I was young. Um, and it's it's uh, there's a there's a way to say it and a way to not. But if you just roll over and never ask, it's definitely worse. So it's good that he's asking. Yes, good he's that he's asking. Concerned that you are going to come. Mm-hmm. If there's a note of impatience or blame, like it's on you that you haven't come yet, don't mm-hmm. fuck that dude anymore. Right. But if what he, if it's a sincere ask and he's sincerely invested in, in you coming and is asking you to tell him what it takes, what you need, right? tell him. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but if I really want to come in that moment, which, listen, like sometimes I don't because uh, it's just – it's different in a relationship. But if we're talking about hookups, like it's so late, I'm drunk, you know, whatever, I'm tired. And it's fine because I still have fun just fucking. Mm-hmm. But um, if I really want to, I do it myself or tell him what to do. 
Which, it's interesting she said that being blunt is not hot because I think if you're hooking up with guys that don't think that's hot and don't appreciate it, you should not be hooking up with those That guys. is a really good point. Yeah. Bluntness and directness somehow can be perceived by, I think, sexist guys as unfeminine. Yes. As slightly masculine behavior. Absolutely. If he needed your finger in his ass to come, he would say, put your finger in my ass. Totally. If he needed a goat. Like I like to say, or a canoe, or and a we do in the it. room. They would be in the room when yeah. you got there. Mm-hmm. You would prioritize whatever it takes to make him come, and right. he would communicate with you. You should do the same. And if a guy blanches at that, that's nobody you want to keep fucking. Yes, and so far, nobody that I wanted to keep fucking and really liked um, had a problem with me doing it myself. Getting yourself like, off in the yeah. Mind. So many straight guys think that that's really hot, and it's just like easier for everyone. It's sexy as hell. I know what I'm doing. And if if we're talking about first date, second date or whatever, then yeah, it takes time for someone to kind of get to know your body. Maybe you don't want to tell them in that moment. But if you're deep into a relationship and some guy's like, did you come? And then you feel like you can't be blunt or do it yourself. Again, not a good person to be dating. Do it yourself. I think every straight person who's just starting out to get past the look ma, no hands hang up Mm -hmm. okay now i'm having partnered sex that means i don't have to touch my own genitals it's on you to make me come go right uh that's i think the corrective for that a really great corrective would be for all straight people to be forced to watch like 12 hours of gay porn in a single day Mm -hmm. because every dude getting his ass fucked by the other dude is stroking his own cock oh i know is touching himself (laughs) i watch a lot of it okay well there you go you know like i'm always saying to women who are like he fucks me and i don't come it's like are you touching your clit well no no yeah Touch your clit. Play with your clit. Well, Get a vibrator well, out if yeah. it's in your drawer. Like anything. Yeah. You can do it yourself. You do it all the time. Do like the gay power bottoms. Mm-hmm. Stroke yourself while you're getting fucked. And if he has a problem with that because he should be able to make you come all by himself with his magic dick, make him watch 12 hours of gay porn. And this is a real thing that happens. And I think that when, you know, we're kind of socialized to be people pleasers and especially pleasers of men. And there are some ego issues that come in. Sometimes, like, you know, that a straight dude will be like, you know, oh, okay, do it yourself, I guess. Like, uh, you know, I tried or 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 be really forceful and say, tell me what you want and I'll do it. And it's just like, I got it. And if you don't think that this is hot and fun, then we're never hooking and you're up again. Part of it. If somebody is like rolling around with you and super turned on mm-hmm. and you're doing other things with and to them and touching other parts of their body that are in play, yeah. other erogenous zones, and they're touching themselves in a particular way that's going to get them there, it's not like you're not a part of it. It's not like you're useless. It's not like you're right. tangential to that orgasm. You help build that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a group party. <laughs> it's a, it takes a village. Um, I guess the, my question for her would be, which I can't ask her a question because she's not here, which sucks. This is hard. It is hard. We can't talk back to them. We can't. Um, uh, but they can't like, talk back to us either, which is sometimes <laughs> nice. Like, is, is she in situations where she wants to come a lot and it never happens? Because I also think it's totally normal to, you know, just have some times when you're fucking where you're just like, I'm good. I'm going to come... So many more times in my life. I do it while driving sometimes. I do it every day. My boyfriend's really good at it. I know that that is there. So it's like if some nights I'm like, oh, no, it's fine. You know. You know what? I think aging plays into this in in part that it's often harder for women when they're young to come because Mm -hmm. women aren't sort of encouraged or socialized to masturbate in the same way. Aren't entitled to masturbate. A lot of women arrive at partner sex without ever having masturbated in their lives, too Mm -hmm. many women. Um, And then they expect this boy 
to do for them what they don't even know how to do for themselves. And yes. If you can't do it for yourself, you're not going to be able to like give that person the info they need or the direction they need verbally or non-verbally during sex for them to be able to do it for you. Yes. Dicks on young men are hair trigger. It's not hard for a young guy to come. <laughs> Even but then a lot this, of old men. There's, this is this great reversal. Like women get better at making themselves come as they get older and orgasms I think become more – become easier to obtain for women often as they age. Yes. Whereas for men, it's the reverse. Easily obtained in youth, more difficult in uh, right. advanced age. So there's this – switch that happens mm-hmm. another reason why god intended people to have same-sex relationships so everyone's this on is the why same i have page, a super young track. boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think there's also a lot of things that sort of leave your head as you get older because especially the first handful of hookups with someone like when you're in your 20s or teens like as women we're thinking a lot about what is my face doing what's my body doing do i look fat in this position is my pussy too hairy or whatever it is, is and your we're pussy so too hairy um, it depends on the day. <laughs> like it's short right now. I'll say it's short. Um, but you know, it's my boyfriend's birthday is coming up, so I guess like I'll get it waxed or whatever. Um, he's gonna be thirty, so can, it's a big day. <laughs> can I share a joke with you about my boyfriend's hairy pussy, and you can tell me if it's funny or not as a yeah, professional comedian? Sure. Once a million years ago, my my now husband said to me, "I want you to grow a goatee because it would feel great when you rim me." And I said, "I have a goatee when I rim you." <laughs> It's hilarious. Oh, good. I've always wanted wanted to run that by a comedian. Take it to an open mic. (laughs) No, I love it. I think my husband would kill me if I took that to – I actually just took it to a a live mic, but an open mic might be too much for you. (laughs) But this is – you know, I wish that someone had given me the advice when I was younger to put some of that stuff out of my head so that I could enjoy sex more because, again, if you're you're in the throes of fucking with someone – and they really are like, mm, she looks a little fat in that position. Then again, you should not be fucking that person. Try to put it out of your head and focus on your own pleasure and like do it yourself. You'll get there. And be blunt. Be blunt. Blunt is sexy blunt, to the right people. It's blunt is sexy to the right people. You have to be careful that your bluntness doesn't come across as scolding. And I know that's like a yes. term, particularly in a gendered sort of dispute. Mm-hmm. But there's like being direct and communicating what you need in the moment. And there's a, a spin that some people can give that communication that makes it sound like the person fucked up by not uh, being clairvoyant, by not knowing those things intuitively. Right. And you just be careful not to give it that spin. Well, no, I haven't come yet because you didn't do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, he didn't know to do that because you didn't tell him. Now he yeah. knows. And now you can be annoyed if he doesn't bust that out for you. Sure. But people aren't, people aren't mind readers. No. And the more they know about how your body works and what you need, the, the, the better able they are to provide it. If they know how your body works and what, they, what you need and they don't provide it, stop fucking that person. Yeah. But the first time they ask for info, if you give that download, like, you should have known this. Mm-hmm. That's... A boner killer, and that's a wet pussy killer. That's just a arousal killer, right? Like when you are asked if you haven't already shared, share in the spirit of this is great that we're having this kind of relationship where we can communicate about these things. Yes, and we're being solicitous of each other mm-hmm. for this kind of information. And unfortunately, you know, straight women do end up teaching straight men a lot of these things. So even if he doesn't make you come right now, four more women are going to tell him, you know, what to do. And then the fifth might actually get an orgasm. Again, it takes a village. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Dan. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So I have a question that spans over a decade and several sexual partners. Um, It's a bit unusual, probably not unusual for this podcast. But um, I'm a 31-year-old hetero woman, 
and I've had less than 20 sexual partners who are all male. An issue that just keeps popping up with me is that, well, the men I'm with have problems getting erections a lot of the times. It happened the first time I lost my virginity. He couldn't get an erection halfway through or sustain it, I should say. It gave me a little bit of a complex, but I powered through. And when I was married, my ex-husband would have the same issue occasionally and blamed it on the fact that I was fat or some physical flaw with myself. I realize now that was his own issue, considering I was very thin at the time and athletic. But the exact same problem has popped up four or five times throughout my adult life. I'll be in the middle of sex, or he'll just be about to penetrate me, and he he will lose his erection. The last time um, it did, I was with a guy for a while. We were, broke up about a year ago, and in a year I have not had any sexual partners. Um, a lot of my seeking new partners has to, of my not seeking new partners has a lot to do with the anxiety caused by the issue that a lot of their men will lose their a lot of men will lose their erections around me. So I decided to give it a chance one more time, and the exact same issue happened just last week with a new sexual partner who is 23. I know that I don't smell, and I'm not physically repellent. I keep pretty good care of myself, but this issue just keeps happening over and over and over again, and I'm starting to develop severe anxiety when it comes to sex with new partners. I know I have a very strong personality, and I'm really tall for a female, but when it happens, I try to be encouraging, like take a break, um, see if he wants to cool down a bit for, for a bit, or like touch myself to try to encourage him or, um, you know, or just stop altogether. Um, I want to know if there's anything I can do to prevent this from happening in the future or if there's something that I'm doing that keeps making this happen. I guess we're both going to have to go have sex with her to determine if it's something she is doing. <laughs> I'll do it. Good. <laughs> there's a lot I'll do for my listeners, but I draw the line <laughs> at fucking them. Yeah, this is – it's so hard because I'm like – I, I want to say it's not you. Uh, I think she's fo- really focused on the physical stuff like, oh, I was thin at this time. So I know that it wasn't that. And But I, I – so I don't want to say like I know it's not you and your body. But <laughs> there could be some other breakdown in communication. Um, she sounds like a very assertive, strong – Confident woman. And but they knew that before they went to bed. It's not like they get into bed with her and then realize she's tall. I know. But but I just mean, um, you know, communication-wise, like, they're so insecure. And sometimes um, if you – like, I've had times where I've just, like, given a look that someone's decided – Yeah, was uh, was judgmental or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's fine. Like, you know, people lose their boners. Dick kryptonite, it just like chased the dick away. It can happen. Yeah. If you're if you're an intimidating sort of woman and you're maybe hooking up with insecure dudes, I don't know if that's the case. I don't is she meeting them in bars? You know? Um, are these cokeheads? Um <laughs> are are they all fat men? You know, sometimes <laughs> fat dudes have a hard time getting that up. I'd be interested to know like sort of what kind of guy she's hooking up with. But um, also, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that communication. You know? I would too. I also wonder if she's not uh, psyching herself up here a little bit. She says it's happened four or five times in her adult life. Mm-hmm. How many sex partners have you had? Right. And are you obsessing about something that just happens every once in a while? Yes, and it happens. It, it's odd, though, that this has become her complex. Because usually it's the dude who loses the erection who develops the complex. Right. Not the woman that he lost the erection in front of. Yeah. Usually that's sort of 
read by both parties as he felt her not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So I would just encourage you, if these are four or five guys out of the 30 or 40 maybe that you've slept with, yes. or 20 that you've slept with. It seems pretty normal. You just drew a few short straws. It's within the sort of, <laughs> it's possible that that the odds curly were. Curly straws. The odds were against you. Yeah, you curly straws. <laughs> Damn Fendi straws is what you drew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it happens. It's a normal thing. And um, I, it's just – it's so hard for women not to internalize a lot of this stuff and just decide that something's wrong with us physically or we're not good in bed. Or, But yeah, it, it doesn't happen usually that people you know, spend a whole evening together or a few dates and then get naked and decide like, oof, I – Changed my mind as soon as I got inside of her. You know, it's not like there's glass in there. Like, Yeah, unless you have like a Gene Simmons kiss face tattoo and your vagina is the open mouth with the tongue hanging out of it. Yeah. Unless there's like some big reveal surprise in the last yeah. possible moment. The panties come off and holy shit, it's Gene Simmons. Yeah, that might that might be it. But I'm sure you would have included that detail if that was in fact the tattoo that you have. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's just it sounds like she's enthusiastic. She's um, masturbating in front of these dudes, which is great, very hot, um, and I think it like shows that you're sort of in the moment and and willing to pivot to something else. Sometimes when someone loses the erection, the trick is to take the pressure off the erection. If if hey. all the sex and all the intimacy hinges on him having the boner, yes. For some guys, particularly young guys or inexperienced guys, that kind of pressure. Yes, they psych themselves out. Yeah, they chase the boner off. So if if the message communicated physically or preferably verbally is let's do X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. that isn't boner dependent necessarily, that is still wonderful and fun and like right. eat my fucking pussy. Yeah, push his face down there immediately. <laughs> and 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 breaks are always good. Um, ice cream's always good. <laughs> ice cream's good. And if it doesn't come back and you like this person and you can do other things sexually, it's really – it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Again, maybe this is like my age, but boners are going to come. There's going to be more boners in your life. Like, yeah, focusing on a few, you know, what you consider to be fail- failed sexual experiences is, you know, it, it's not going to get you anywhere because she's going to psych herself out. How old are you? 36. And how long have you been doing comedy? Six years. How did you get into comedy at 30? What, what, Oof. um, had a little bit of an emotional breakdown. <laughs> uh, no, I, and they I figured just, out how to monetize that exactly by having your emotional breakdown into a microphone on a stage in front of a bunch of strangers. Yeah, a couple. Of, I had a, um, I had a really, really hard year, like the hardest year of my life. And then, uh, which I think, you know, Saturn returns, a lot of people have a similar experience, 28, 29. And then I was really um, had really bad stage fright that I wanted to conquer, so I just dove right in and fixed all of it. Not that it's all fixed, but well, you're, you know, you're I channel g- it. You're great and you're hilarious. Thanks. And it was really fun to have you. I hope you'll come back. I would love to. It was fun to bat these questions around with you. Amy Miller, go to amymillercomedy.com to see some of her videos and to check out your upcoming tour dates. Uh, and follow Amy Miller on Twitter at Amy Miller. She is hilarious. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. This message is for episode uh, five, six, seven. Uh, I had to stop the podcast so I could leave this message. I hope that it gets to this girl that was giggling really hard about being 20 and uh, having affairs with someone with a great penis. As someone on the receiving end of being madly in love with someone for two and a half years and it not being reciprocated, I just recently had like my heart ripped out of my chest and 
was told that he was basically just kind of using me the whole time because I was a good lay. So I don't think that that is a good thing to do. And I, it's really hard for me to not want to insult this person because she kind of sounds evil and just kind of laughs a lot. But maybe that's just a sign of her age. Don't do that to a person. It's really, really cruel. Uh, hi, this is a response to a question someone had about whether or not they should have kids right away with their partner when they feel it's not really the right time for them. I'm here to tell you that you should never have kids just because your partner wants to have kids. Um, you should always think about having kids as something that you are going to potentially have to do on your own. Um, so you really need to want to have kids, not just as a romantic gesture. Hello, I have a comment on episode 567. I'm a 46-year-old straight woman, and I am sick to death of all the whiny babies I hear who spend so much time obsessing about their own lives. They are so focused on their own selfish pleasure 24 hours a day that they don't even know how to live life. Guess what? Life buffets you around. You can't and you shouldn't expect every waking moment to be served up just for you. First, there was the woman who wanted to know if it was ethical to keep fucking the guy that was in love with her, even though she was only interested in him physically. For crying out loud, girl, of course it's not ethical. Take a second and think about someone besides yourself. Then there was the idiot who was in love with a woman and that wants to have kids with him, but he couldn't move up his kid timeline by a few years. What in the world are you clinging to? Do you think having children is a death sentence or something? Do you absolutely need to have that one more night out with the guys in your early 30s and there's just no way that you can't have that experience? It's ridiculous. Life is a continuum, and there are phases that you'll go through in your life. Each one of them has its own set of pleasures and difficulties. Some of us have a long young adult phase. Others don't. But just because you're 40 or you have kids doesn't mean you can't do young adult things. Just get a goddamn babysitter. Maybe you can't drop everything at a moment's notice, but big deal. Why does it have to be about you all the time? What exactly is it that you're going to do in the next two to three years that you can't possibly do at any other point in your life, and you will just go to your grave regretting it if you don't do it right now? Live your life, love your girlfriend, marry her, have kids, claim some time to do the things that you want to do, and don't be such a selfish asshole. And we're going to leave it there. Quick program note, The Savage Love Cast presents Dan Savage and psychotherapist and best-selling author Esther Perel, October 12th at the Egyptian Theater in Seattle and October 13th at the Orpheum Theater in Vancouver, British Columbia. Esther and I will be answering your questions live Esther will be signing copies of her new book, State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. And of course, we will be talking at length about her new book and about her work. Go to www.savagelovecast.com for more info and to get tickets to both shows. Again, October 12th at the Egyptian in Seattle, October 13th in Vancouver, British Columbia. All right, 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, Give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. This is your last chance to get a film in for Hump 2017. The deadline for submissions for this year's Hump is Friday, September 15th at 3 p.m. You've got a few days. We've had entries in past years that were made the night before the deadline. So it's not too late to bust out your film for Hump. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for all the information you need about making this Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Amy Miller on Twitter at Amy Miller. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at Risk Youth. And Nancy, we'll all be back at you next week with another installment on Savage Lovecast. Thank you, Emily.